So when their debt matures, if they even have any, they might just go, no, I don't want to pay 9%. Like it yeah. doesn't, yeah. Th- doesn't make sense. <clears throat> Your companies do things like run a successful business on its own. It's like weird stuff. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Yes, what it's beginning to look a lot like? Investing season. Exactly. That Santa Claus rally. That's what it's starting to look a lot like. There's these songs about like Christmas and stuff, whatever. Santa Claus throws his money into a little bit of treasuries because he's getting older and then the rest straight up into the stock market he loves this time of year <laughs> there's been some challenges at the north pole with elf population control really so it's getting really expensive to feed those little guys elf population control i've never even yeah. thought about this say more they breed like rabbits doogles so it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing and He's still, I mean, the population of the earth is growing, right? He still has plenty of toys to make, but man, he's having some challenges up there. I did a business consult for him a couple of weeks back. Should be a good year though. You are currently, you're currently on the nice list, but it's, it's not a done deal yet. I like to hover right around (laughs) that line. You know what I mean? Can't be too good. Before we hop in today, we love your listener mail, skippydoogles at gmail.com. We don't cover all the listener mail that, that comes in but we appreciate seeing it. So thank you. Thank you. And you know what else rabbits do? I don't want to know they anything eat. else about rabbits. They eat just like the rest of us is what they do. Nonstop. The rumor um, in my house is that rabbits, um, if they don't eat, their teeth grow so large that they impact their brain or something. I'm not sure if I believe it. Wow. No, that I mean, that sounds completely scientifically legit. Yeah, yeah. right. I came across this hustle. You know the hustle? I came across this hustle piece from a 2020. It was early 2020. I hadn't seen it yet and found it to be interesting. It's the economics of all you can eat buffets. What they did was they went around and they looked at the prices of about 30 all you can eat buffets. And they tried to balance this out across geography, across sizes, et cetera, et cetera. You know, because you got the, the big buffet chains and then you got some of the smaller buffet chains. They tried to get average pricing. What they found on average is that for every $20 in revenue, $19 goes toward overhead. So it's a $1 of margin. It's about a 5% profit margin on these businesses. One thing I'd be curious about, so this was early 2020. An update in this, I'd be very curious about because the last almost four years has just kind of thrown a bunch of stuff upside down. Regardless, it's still interesting to walk through this. So the way that cost breaks down is... Food is about $740, so almost 40% of it. Labor is about 30% of it, $6 of that, of that $20. Rent, about 14%, $280 of that $20. And then other stuff that's like depreciation, utilities, et cetera, et cetera, goes in $280. So that leaves about $1, 5% in profit. So just like a lot of restaurants, food in general, restaurants, groceries, et cetera, it's a fairly low margin business. That's the overview. One thing I really wanted to break down, but I, I couldn't find the, they didn't have the data for it in here is, so they talked about this one large chain called Ovation Brands that owns a bunch of major uh, buffet chains. 
every year, they said they served 85 million dinner rolls, 47 million pounds of chicken, 6 million pounds of steak, overall 49.3 billion calories over the course of a year. What I wanted to find was the average number of people that they served. Because I, I wonder what that calorie breakdown per person <laughs> ends up per being. <laughs> I really wanted to. I really wanted to know. I mean, imagine if they serve forty nine people. It's a lot of calories. That's just what I want to know. I mean, imagine, well, yeah. Imagine, imagine over the course of a year they wouldn't be around anymore. But uh, actually, this so this same brand, Ovation Brands, uh, between two thousand eighteen and twenty twenty, had filed for bankruptcy three times. So it's it's they might only have forty nine forty nine people are coming in. <laughs> It seemed like from some of the other, some of the other data that was in here that the larger some of the larger ones they had like about 900 people a day that came in so serving a decent number of people every day but I don't know how many uh different stores went out there. Anyway, the last thing I'll name here cuz I found this to be interesting is as they're thinking about increasing profit some of the tactics they use are as follows. They put the cheap filling stuff at the front of the buffet line. 75% of buffet customers select whatever food is in the first tray. 66% of all the food they consume comes from the first three trays. Fascinating. They use smaller plates. That's an obvious one. Yep. Uh, smaller plate sizes reduce the amount of food that people consume. They use larger than average serving spoons for things like potatoes and then smaller than average for things like meats. So the, the cheaper the thing, the bigger the spoon, because they want you to get all them potatoes up in there, right? The last thing is that they will refill your water as consistently as they possibly can because they think about Mr. Johnny Chestnut and they want to get you all kinds of full on the water. They uh, they talked about how they balance out the uh, like the heavy hitters. I, I can't remember what they called them, but it was something like the gorgers, the gorgeous gorgers, something like that. But anyway, they they would balance out the people that would come in and just dominate the buffet with those that would come in and underconsume. So they've calculated all this stuff down to a pretty solid margin they have uh they have three example diners here uh one that gets like a balanced meal and on average they make that five percent profit from them they have one that really fills up on the cheap stuff the potatoes the salad the pasta and doesn't go for the steak right their profit margin is like 20 percent on that Ooh. individual and then you have the dude they'd give an example of a linebacker the big guy that shows up and eats nothing but steak and chicken, they might lose as much as $7 on that guy. The gorgeous uh, gorger. Yeah. Or negative 43% profit for him. Wow. But it all comes out in the wash, right? Because yeah. so also the thing, when's the last time you went to a buffet with like your family or something? I mean, it would have been pre 2020, like before uh, the COVID hit situation. Yeah. I mean, if we go, and I can only remember one time in the past decade, but it's like, you're there for the kids, right? They go do whatever they want, mostly consume ice cream. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty much disgusted by the whole, I'm guaranteed they're making tons of money by me, off me. I like, I'm not going to try and eat 7,000 calories just because. Oh, you know what? We actually, we went to one in a hotel. Like, so it was a, it wasn't like a, all you can eat buffet thing. It was just the hotel breakfast was mm -hmm. a buffet i get out of control let me just <laughs> let me just state this 
Like if we go to something like an all inclusive resort or there's a buffet, yeah, they're not making they're not making any money. Is it the principle of it? Uh, for the most part, yeah. There are like two <laughs> things. There are two things that that are at play. One is that if you're telling me that I can have all that I can have, I'm having all I can have. That's one. The second is that I don't really much like a, the rumor around horses. I don't really have a shutoff valve, so like I have to. It, it's all just me telling myself to stop. There isn't like a feeling of fullness that I get until I am aggressively into this thing. So between those two principles. It's pretty aggressive. And and I know what the cheap stuff is. So for me, there's a lot of this stuff that's cheap because I'm vegetarian. So I don't get the, yeah, the meats and whatnot. Cheap stuff, yeah. But but anyway, yeah, all you all I can eat, those all inclusives, I'd like to see the economics of those when I come into town. Because I'm I'm that that person every day. They're trying to get me to like stay at other hotels. <laughs> Just as I thought we were gonna agree on a point of like we're sophisticated and mature and there's no reason to just eat for the sake of eating. Dougal's disagrees. Very much so. Very, <laughs> very much so. I'm not like, they, uh, they gave some specific examples in here though of people that were like, there was one lady that ate all the brownies and then they finally had to kick her out when she was shoving the brownies into her purse. That's not me. <laughs> so at least I, I have some dignity. Okay. So you, you walk in, you hand someone 20 bucks. And you go get a tray of brownies. Like, why didn't you just get a tray of brownies at the grocery store for <laughs> 10 bucks? Yeah, I, <laughs> no, this is. <laughs> or baker at home. Like, my six-year-old can make brownies, right? You put some eggs in, stir it up. You're done. It's Sometimes, maybe they she likes these brownies. <laughs> well, I'm I don't sure know. they're the highest quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Uh, when you're at your holiday party and you want to quiz people on buffets, the important fact to remember is that there are 26% less buffets today than there were about 20 years ago. And they attribute it to at-home delivery of food. That's the attribution that they provide there. There's also the, the, the fact that there's a trend of people eating healthier, which is great. But they talked about how people are getting food delivered at home. And that's a place that buffets can't compete. So if that's happening in your in ordinary restaurant, you can say, I'm going to start delivering. At least you get revenue from it. But a buffet, it's not all you can eat. Like, just go to our menu and tell me all the things that you want. It's only $20. That would be the worst Whoa, business no. model. Hold up. New business model. I'm okay. going to have to go shortly because I have to build this business. Drive through buffet, but it's not a drive through. It's uh, we drive the buffet to your house. You fill up your plate and we leave. So a drive to buffet. Drive to. Yeah, taking over the nation. That's fantastic. I love this. You should take out a loan for this. <laughs> oh. Buffets, good. The graphics in this are great, guys. If you have any interest, they did a really nice job of like yeah. making it easy to digest. All right, what you got? Well, I'm still hung up on Munger. So I think it was Tuesday. Munger was delivered directly to my earbuds. The Collison brothers who run Stripe are mm -hmm. Munger fans, as everyone claims to be a Munger fan. At this point, I'm starting to, you, sometimes you have to weed it out, but they are true Munger fans. They have come out with a brand new edition of Port Charlie's Almanac that. The Collison be, brothers? 
did the Collison brothers. Ah, okay. Stripe Press. So first and foremost, can be downloaded audio or Kindle book for free, and you can get a hard copy for twenty bucks. It used to run like sixty to hundred bucks. So the same price just, as a buffet. Same price as a buffet. Exactly. Okay. They're they're doing people a solid. But in addition to that, we talked about Munger's. As best I can gather now, Diggles, there was going to be a Munger celebration for his 100th birthday. That's why he was doing all the press, right? And then he unfortunately passed 34 days beforehand. But there's all this stuff. Like this podcast episode was already recorded with him and John, John Collison. Did you get a chance to listen to it? I did not. I didn't know if it was like AI of what Munger would have said. You know, if he but it or but it was it was an actual recording of Munger. That's what you're telling yes. me. Yes. Okay. So so much better because clearly the Colson brothers have a kind of a longer term relationship with him. Like I compared to the acquired podcast that came out recently, audio wasn't great and it was kind of all over the place. This was a well produced, well thought out uh podcast episode. Kind of an amazing gift, you know, after he passes to just have this show up. So yeah, I'd really recommend this. I did quotes last week. I'm going to do four more quotes from Charlie that I think really like almost spoke to me um, at this point in the game. He's really talking about his philosophies in life as it relates to life and business. Um, and he says, my idea is so simple. If you make your living selling things to other people that are good for them, it is safer and more profitable than selling stuff that is bad. So he's not a huge fan of alcohol or drugs, which is perfectly reasonable. And what he's saying here is largely like, I can look at two types of businesses. One that is a, I don't know, a great example of something that positively impacts something, but maybe it is something related to improving a person's health. Yep. And, and then the opposite could be something that deteriorates someone's health. They both might, do a billion dollars worth of revenue and they both might run 20% profit margins. And he's saying the one that is naturally better for the world and for the people buying it actually is a better business. Even though they both do 20% profit margins, like one is good for society and one is I'm putting this in quotes, bad for society. Sustainability is a part of that. Like you assume it's going to be around for longer because people will catch on or just stop like the trend will go toward the positive right at some point i imagine that makes sense to me i like that i mean it's kind of positive some game versus not positive some game yeah i i it certainly heard him articulate that before but it um this week it was just so clear to me and kind of inspiring yeah. like it was cool um along the same lines he says i decided i was going to sell the kind of stuff that i would buy if i was on the other side yeah, I love that. It's about being fair. It's about love it. And I also wanted to work with the kind of people that I admire. This one knocks my socks off. I have a special appreciation for this in the past five years or so. I see so many folks out there feeling like they're stuck in the rat race and dealing with a group of people or a boss that like doesn't treat them with respect or isn't a good human. There's a there's a general like theme that's overarching that if you assume let's go to the start of your business life if you assume 
that you were going to live a long time, be in the game for a long time, mm-hmm. and encounter many of the same people over the that multi-decade career. How would you run your business life? That's That seems to be like the question that's then asked yeah. and where these make a lot of sense. Like if someone says, you're going to interact with this same person 15 times over the next 50 years in your business career, would you be like, yeah, I'm definitely going to try and screw them over? No. No. So it's it's a live your life as if that is the case. And in many cases, it might be the case. 15 times is probably a lot, but but multiple, mm-hmm. right? Many times. Well, the and it happens. And I think the the wisdom of a 99-year-old saying this even makes it more true. But it's not necessarily profound. It kind of is profound because it comes from Munger, who is a genius in all things you know like he excelled in so many areas not just making money it's lovely it was uh meaningful to me this week last one along the same lines i'd rather have a brief telephone conversation with somebody i trust than a 40-page contract prepared by the finest law firm in the world with someone i don't trust builds on all those same points like work with people you admire be fair and honest and then trust is maybe it's one of the highest principles that you should value in business and in life he's not saying this directly but another way maybe to say that same point is that if you need a piece of paper to have comfort in that someone's going to uphold their word you shouldn't work with that person that doesn't mean don't use contracts like use contracts it's the base but but he's saying but i think that there's a part of it that's indirect that's saying if that's what you need then Mm-hmm. it's not worth it well and um yeah it's a good sanity check in uh, i'd say business dealings but in almost anything if you feel like you have to keep adding additional provisions to the contract to, <laughs> to protect yep. yourself it's your brain telling you that you might not trust the situation the people you're dealing with some other thing yeah, yeah there there's sometimes in contracts where there'll be some right provision like that, that is getting argued over. I'll be like, if that is the thing that they're coming after us for, we've messed up yeah. a lot of other stuff. Like mm-hmm. that's not the first thing that they're trying like they're at that point, they are trying to find anything to get out of the deal or whatever it might be. And so we've already messed it up. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so the overarching theme here is not every business gets to live as principled to a life as Charlie Munger chose to. Not every individual is even willing to, you know, be on their high horse about those principles. But what's fun, and I don't know why this seems so unique, it does seem pretty unique to be highly principled like that and to have high standards to work with people you trust and to treat people fairly. But it can be done and it can be done very successfully, almost based on any measure of success you want to choose. So, I just loved it. Really good podcast. John Carlson asks great questions and also pushes back on Charlie more than almost anyone I can remember in the recent past. Like he he tried to argue for crypto. Like it, who's dumb enough to go to Charlie Munger and like say your stance on crypto is wrong? I don't I want to hear that. I want to hear yeah. that alone. It, it's super interesting. Every interview I've seen with Munger in the past decade, it seems like it's just people 
treating him as if he sits on a pedestal and just whatever he says is immediately gospel and no one really pushes back. And I understand why. But there was a little more of that than I expected. It was really fun. It's a gift. It's one of those podcasts you should download and probably listen to once a year. And and Charlie Munger from Outside In seems like one of those people that you respect that. You respect the pushback as long as it's mm-hmm. yeah. intelligent, right? And thought through and and whatnot. That's it. The productive tension is what creates uh, more learning in the future. But I'm going to listen to it. Yeah. So this podcast, I don't think I mentioned it's invest like the best, which is typically Patrick Shaughnessy's podcast, but he handed the reins over to John Collison for this specific interview. And then they were sitting on it. I think it happened like six months back oh, really? for his hundred uh, year birthday. And then they okay. decided, okay. Hey, it's the time everyone would want to us to put it out there. So, uh, that is my strongest recommendation of what you should do this week. I love it. All right. I'm going to go to one of my topics, reach into the fishbowl, go to one of my topics that I enjoy discussing that I find to be interesting. It's about universal basic income. So give directly. You familiar with give directly? Yeah. At one point early on, I think we were trying to figure out how to either support or raise money. Yeah. Give directly is a good thing. I'm excited for these results. So give directly is an organization nonprofit that you can donate to and then they will find people in poverty through a variety of different programs and they give the money guess what directly to those people there was a study that they or an experiment that they started in 2016 around universal basic income in kenya and the first results by independent researchers from that experiment have been released i haven't read the like the raw findings yet, but there are a couple different articles, uh, one from Vox, one from NPR that I took a look at. And it is just, it's super interesting stuff. I'm going to start off by giving an overview of the the program itself and then give a couple little highlights that I, that I found in there. Okay. So first, as I mentioned, it was in Kenya. What they did was there were 26,000 people roughly in total that they were giving money to. Around 6,000 of those people they gave but $20 a month, every month for 12 years. So that's the that's the first part. So they're seven years into that, that 12 year span at this moment. So that's one group. Mm-hmm. A second group, they gave a lump sum to. And the third group, they gave the equivalent of that lump sum in monthly payments, but only for two years. So it's, it's something like $20 a month uh, for two years versus $50 or sorry, $500. <laughs> that was not good math, by the way, that right there. So and there's then, one group. And then there's a third group that got $1,000 up front. Is that how this works? No, no. The third. So the first group, like the main part was 6,000 people, $20 a month for 12 years. So that yeah, group is okay. still happening. That's monthly. Then there was, I'll do the second monthly group to make it easier to understand. The second group was also monthly, but only for two years. So $20 a month for two years. The third group was a lump sum. That was a comparison to that two-year group. So they got $500 up front. Okay. So a couple interesting points that came out of this. One is, uh, oh, and by the way, the way that they did this was uh, there's this uh, kind of equivalent to Venmo product over there, uh, over yeah. in Kenya called M-Pesa, and it's ubiquitous. Like every, nearly everyone uses it. I think they said 96% of people use it, something mm-hmm. like that. That's the way they use, what they use to distribute the funds. Okay. So a couple of things that came from it. 
One, if you compare the group, the groups that the set, the group number two and group number three that I mentioned, so $20 a month for two years versus the lump sum of that equivalent over two years, the lump sum people won out in nearly every measure that they found. Uh, so an example is that they would, they're more likely to start businesses. If you looked at uh, how they were, their income that was coming in, it was double the people that got it monthly. And the reason was because they would get that lump sum and they would invest it. They would start a company. They had the money to like, they had upfront capital to do things. Mm -hmm. Whereas the people that got it monthly didn't, right? So they were still having to live month to month. Then what became interesting is though, if you look at the group of people that were getting $20 a month, but will be getting it for 12 years, they outperformed both of those groups. And so that's when it becomes interesting between the comparison of monthly versus lump sum. The reason that they outperformed, they had the most flexibility because you could, you could take it monthly, right? And be able to balance your month to month as if it's, you know, like income, like normal income stream that's coming to you. But because they were getting it for 12 years, they had a greater capability to use that to get credit. So they had this flexibility of either if they wanted it, they could get lump sum payments. They went yeah. and called and them. And if not, they had a safety net. <clears throat> exactly. So they there was something that they called, uh, it's a R-O-S-C-A, uh, ROSCA. Um, it's a rotating savings and credit association. And so they could like form these and be able to get lump sum payments. So super, I think it's like a super interesting thing. Then there's a bunch of stuff they didn't find, which is good to look through. And some of that is uh, a typically what you might see as arguments against during universal basic income. So like they didn't find that people were spending it on alcohol and drugs. They didn't find that that people would then just like up their their fashion, right? Things like that. Uh, they <clears throat> they didn't find that it drove inflation. So there's there are all these things they also didn't find. See, I'm shocked they didn't find that it drove inflation. Um, although, what you say, six thousand participants. So it's six thousand got the the twelve year part, and then another twenty thousand were in the second two buckets. Yeah, so still twenty six thousand participants. I don't know the population of Kenya, but it's a very small sliver of that. Yeah. That would be one. I always find this fascinating, and I'm glad we're doing more experiments around it because yeah. I think the results will always have some counterintuitive parts to them. Like yep. the, you just don't know how people are going to react until they actually have the dollars in their hand. Yep. But my question, what my remaining question is, yeah. So what if you do it for half the population? Yeah, exactly. What how does that then? change the dynamic? I think that's right because they're, they're saying so far it doesn't seem like, you know, it's driving inflation because the dollars are spread over a wide range of products. So people are buying more things, but it's spread out. And so, Maybe you could say it's not inflation that is impacting the economy in any material way, but prices may have gone up right mm -hmm. a little bit. I, that's the way maybe to look at it. So it's a it's a pretty cool, uh, uh, pretty cool way to look at this. Oh, the one one other thing is the people that got monthly checks were generally happier and reported better mental health than the lump sum payment folks too. They have hypotheses for that, but it. It's an interesting point. There was something that they think about getting a bunch of money up front that produces more stress. And you're like, I now have this, a bunch of money that I don't exactly know what to do with. And I have to figure out what to do with it. Whereas the monthly payments don't have that same stress. That's the hypothesis they have. Uh, to me, that's easy to follow. It, 
it's the safety net we talked about, right? Like provide some stability, even if to use a poor example, your house burns down tomorrow or you get robbed, like you still know that there's uh, a little financial security built in for you. Yep. That is, that's absolutely right. And the, one of the people that, that did the independent study, his name is Abhijit Banerjee. He and someone whose name I cannot remember wrote this book called A Good Economics for Hard Times. I think we mm-hmm. might have talked about it like a year, year and a half ago, something yeah. like that. Uh, it's 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 good stuff. So put that on the Substack too, the book, if you all are interested. It's good stuff. Love it. All right. I'm reaching the fishbowl for one other probably quick hit. Because it, it's, it's, it's an unknown exactly what this is going to do, but I found it to be interesting. So the New York Times came out with this article called Corporate America Has Dodged the Damage of High Rates for Now. That's the only way I can <laughs> I can think of uh, how to say that. So uh, the, the points that this is bringing up at the high level are that what we know is that interest rates have gone up pretty dramatically over the last couple of years. They've gone up fast. They've gone up uh, in a, in, at a high rate very quickly. And so you have all these companies that had debt. You're like, ooh, okay, interest rate payments going up. What are all these, what's going to happen to all these zombie companies, right? We talked about that. What's going to happen to the junk bond type companies, all this. What's going to happen to profits? What they found so far is that for American companies, the difference between their interest payments and their interest receipts is actually at the, it's the lowest that it's been since the 1980s. So that's a good thing because what's happening is companies are, being able to put excess cash into savings and they've locked in lower interest rates prior when interest rates were low. Yep. And so it's something, uh, let's see, it's $137 billion roughly at the end of September as the, the difference between those two. And again, it's in comparison to the 1980s and the graph of, of that, that like net amount is pretty dramatic. It's huge increase up until about a year, year and a half ago, and then has plunged very dramatically. So that's where we are right now. So companies are doing as an aggregate, right? There are companies that are not doing well over this, but in aggregate companies are doing pretty well at the moment, but, and this is completely non-scientific. They say a quote unquote wave of debt is coming due in the corporate bond and loan market over the next two years. What is a wave? I, I don't know how large that is. I'm not sure. But where they gave one specific uh, number, they said roughly a third of the $1.3 trillion of debt issued to companies in the so-called junk bond market Mm -hmm. comes due in the next three years. And so what's going to start happening is where companies were able to borrow at, let's call it in the somewhere in the three to 6% range, depending on what their their credit score was, that's now going to be more like in the six to nine percent range that's so 50 percent above or double roughly is what they're I mean I here. think it could be higher I think it, I'd, I'd go like eight to 12 to be honest it went, when they they said that if you're in the small business category so this is for large corporations that's they true. said for small businesses it is more it's a, it's in the double digit range of what you're talking about there it's it's kind of fascinating 
in a a way that, like I said at the beginning, we don't know what it's going to look like. But the next two to three years, when a lot of this debt comes due, we're going to see interest payment changes. I also think from a from an investor standpoint, potentially there could be some opportunities on the other side of this. When if companies, this is a this is a market that the average retail investor, as we've talked about, it would be not be safe to get into it like at an individual company level. But there could be some interesting ETF opportunities in like two or three years if you're looking at the aggregate of companies that are now having to pay out higher amounts. There's lots of interesting opportunities. I mean, we talked about Howard Marks uh, dangling a carrot here um, about three months ago saying it might be time to look at debt with a sound investment process. There are pieces in the debt market that look better than U.S. stocks. And he's exactly right. And the really fun part about that is if your typical corporate debt is like on a three to five year term, it's exactly what you said. It's right now they took out debt, whatever, in 2020 with super low interest rates. Now, if they're sitting on any cash, they're making 5% on that cash. And that debt repayment is probably more secure than it ever has been in the recent past. Now, what happens three years from now when they have to refinance that debt at twice the rate? That debt is much less secure, but they're also paying higher rates for it. My thought here, Dougals, is that the banks led the way. Like The banks had trouble with this and still have trouble with this, but that started... When was SBV? Was that almost... It was this year. It was seven months ago. Nine, seven... Yeah, okay. April, yeah. May, something like that. So the, so the banks led the way because they had to mark to market earlier, you know, yeah. or like yep. again, because a bank run happened. Like if a bank run didn't happen, I don't even know that we'd know as much about the typical regional bank's balance sheet. Well, they, we they had to now. mark to market because they needed to go get money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because there was a bank run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. Um now your average business is just in a somewhat similar situation, but it's two or three years delayed. It's uh, so it's going to be something to watch. the The whole collapse of the that's my word. I'm being aggressive. Collapse of the sixty forty portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's already started to get more interesting now, and over the next three years, it'll be interesting as well. And the sixty forty portfolio, sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds, to give you a balance. And over years, that's been something that's kind of like a. A, a safety, a safe way to balance between stocks and bonds has been recommended as like a rule of thumb. And in the last couple of years has been very weak because of the collapse of, uh, of bond values, but yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be a thing, man. So get this. I love this. Not because I wish ill on any company that is running high debt, but because my typical investment has almost no debt. If it has debt, it has very little. It has a strong cash position. It has all these factors that make it really impossible to go bankrupt. Well, that's been a disadvantage recently because debt's been so cheap that their competitors can leverage up and make investments that cost them almost nothing. Yep. Three years from now, those companies, if they still decide to run with heavy leverage, are in a much tougher environment where my typical investment isn't relying on any of that. The, the rates don't even matter because they could pay off all their debt tomorrow if they want to. So when their debt matures, if they even have any, 
they might just go, no, I don't want to pay 9%. Like it yeah. doesn't, yeah. Th- doesn't make sense. <clears throat> Your companies do things like run a successful business on its own. It's like weird stuff. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Like just profitably make, make money over decades. Yeah. And, and do it in a way that is super boring and non sexy. And so no one wants to invest in it, but it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stoked. You got anything else? Anything else in your fishbowl, good sir? I'm bone dry. All right. Please share the show with a friend for the holiday season. Say, listen, these I listened to some nerds, and you got some free time on your hands during the holidays. Check these guys out. Hit us with listener mail, skippydougals at gmail.com. Again, premium subscriptions. If you want to get the show early, get uh, access to premium content, you can grab that skippydougals.supercast.com. And the Substack is kind of the one-stop shop, but the best way to get there is just to go to skippydougals.com and you can get anywhere you need. Thank you, everybody.